0: Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A fisherman hates it when he has water in his boat, the filling of it on his skin. But one day he discovers something unusual. An object of unknown curiosity and power. An object that changes his humanity forever. And creatures reside under the plain crust of the earth. They hear the planet's pain. Pain that echoes through the layers of earth and into the molten veins beneath. Two creatures whose wrath is about to be felt. Welcome listeners, to two strange stories to start off your new year. I hope you've had a fantastic holiday or mini-break, spent most of my time eating, playing board games, and spending time with my family and friends. Loads and loads of fun. One of the best holidays yet. But you're here to listen to stories and I won't keep you waiting. I'll chat more about me after the stories are done. Your first story today is titled Court, and your second story is titled Core by Violent Harvest. All stories are linked in the show notes. So turn off the lights, turn up the sound and get ready to return to the creepy. It's so very good to be back. Caught Ken was cold and wet and miserable, as usual. The water in the boat was the worst part, he mused. The complaint was so familiar that it had ceased to be a complaint. If he had to be honest, it was more like a philosophical argument that he had with himself. A detached observation of merely scientific interest. He had a lot of time to think about such things out on the sea and over many days he had managed to map out the cause of the water in the boat. The water in the boat, Ken had decided, came from the spray of the oars. In sunny weather, rare as it was, the spray was gone almost the moment it left the sea, dried up by the light and heat. But most days, it simply arced through the mist, the fog clinging to it and gathering it in the boat. Little by little, the boat filled up. Not too much, but enough to be troublesome and unpleasant. Early in his fishing career, he had bailed out the water any time he felt it touch his feet, but he had long ago found that this was a futile task. His coat was too small, his boat was old, his grey beard was wet and crusted with salt. And so he rowed, feeling the seawater creep up and up his boots, grumbling to himself in his favourite ways. As if all this wasn't enough, the net had caught on something. He stood up and tugged gently on the line, then again, and a bit more firmly. Something gave. He wasn't sure if it was the net or whatever had snagged it. If the damn net ripped again, he'd have to give up patching it and get a new one. More gold down the drain, less in his pocket. He hauled the line until the net, only half full of fish, came over the edge of the boat and spilled its cargo onto the rotting boards. Ken shook out the net, checking for torn threads in the complex weaves. Fish dropped out to flop and gasp weakly at his feet. Suddenly, the net lost its weight and something heavy thudded down. He bent to pick it up, assuming it was just a rock and intending to toss it over the side. His muscles, such as they were, bulged as he struggled to bring it out of the pile of expiring fish. He set it on the seat to rest a moment, and then his eyes refocused on it. It wasn't a stone. It was a carved figure, encrusted with barnacles, and made of some sort of black glass or obsidian. It seemed to depict a person in clerical robes, or something similar. Its arms were raised. Ken looked it over for a few minutes more, considering throwing it over the side. He dredged up things like this from time to time, mostly old swords and armour. On one occasion, he had narrowly escaped a waterlogged but animate skeleton that had clung tenaciously to the net. This, however, was very different. Something about its unnatural density intrigued him, and he suspected that whatever exotic material it was carved from might fetch a decent price to the right collector. Mernin would come tomorrow, as he did every other day, and he might know what to do with it. Besides, this was an excuse to head home early. He didn't want to be caught by the Nebelgast, shipwrecked or pain wrecked or driven insane. Lately, the fish had been scarce, forcing him to go out further and stay nearly until nightfall. Ken turned the boat around and began rowing home. Home, if Ken was honest with himself, was really too strong a word for his shack on the edge of the beach. The fog always came uncomfortably close. Although the Nebulgast had never ventured past the sandbar and the building itself was older than he was, he often joked grimly, albeit to himself, that he was growing to resemble his abode. Salt encrusted smelling of fish and half rotten from the damp. The sun was barely touching the horizon as Ken dragged the full net over the sand. The tide was coming in early today, he noted. The water was already nearing the dock. As he struggled to slide the Darkstone figure up the damp, sandy hill, after what seemed like an age, Ken pulled the statue inside the shack, away from the sea. In the poor light of the shack it seemed less exciting than before. The Darkstone glistened slightly, but it suddenly seemed more greasy than precious. There was an oily texture to it, and his hands were now sticky with some sort of residue, He took out a knife and began to chip away at some of the barnacles and seaweed that had collected on it. At worst, he decided, of obsidian or something similarly worthless. Even then, though, he should get a good price for it just for the collector's value. He knew from his contact at the market that some vampires collected pieces like this, and vampires weren't stingy with their coin. Ken worked until late at night on the statue, cleaning it almost like he would a fish, The barnacles, he found, were the hardest to clean, clinging stubbornly to the smooth exterior of the carving. Salt had collected on it, particularly on the face, and seaweed had grown over and around the base, and that clear, sticky resin was still there. He soon grew tired of wiping it off and simply left it on his hands. When he was finished, the statue was a fair amount smaller than when he had begun, and not much lighter. It stood about as tall as his knee, and despite his initial thought, didn't seem to be of any Abyssinian priest. The robes were too short, and a hood obscured its features. Its arms were raised, but only halfway, in a gesture that reminded Ken more of a greeting than of a holy benediction, the base of which it stood was not carved smooth. Either the sculpture hadn't bothered, or the figure was supposed to be standing on natural rock. Ken had been working for hours, His arms felt sticky and slippery all the way up to the elbows, and his hands were stiff from holding the knife. But he felt an immense sense of satisfaction. He was beginning to feel the exhaustion approach, and he collapsed into his cot, spiralling down into sleep, his head filled with visions of riches and of no longer having to fish. He was looking forward to not having water in the boat. His dreams were unpleasant which he decided was a result of going to sleep on an empty stomach. He had been gnawingly hungry through most of his work on the statue, but the fish he had planned to eat had stared back at him, as dead fish were apt to do, and he had found the idea of eating it oddly repugnant. Whatever the reason, he woke up in a cold sweat, and that damned stickiness was still on his arms. Mernin's cart slowed to a stop outside the fishing shack. "'Hoi, Ken!' he waved. "'I thought you'd be out fishing. I was just coming by for yesterday's catch.' Ken was standing outside the shack, by the fire pit. He had a large wooden basin set up on a stool, and appeared to be washing something in it. His arms stuck in up to his elbows. There was something black. Mernin squinted to try and make it out. By his feet. "'Hoi, Mernin!' He said back. I thought I would be too, but I caught this here. He gestured with his head. In my net yesterday, and thought it might fetch a price. Come, take a look. The young merchant, curious, left his cart and walked over to Crouch by the statue. What is it? I can't say I've seen its like. Ken shook his head. Nor can I. Truth be told, it caught my eye, that's all. Stayed up half the night cleaning it. Mernon straightened up. And you think it's worth a bit? Got to be. Carved smooth, out of glass or some such. Looks like a priest, but it's not. Look at the hood. I imagine it's a vampire, and I imagine a vampire would want it. Mernon shook his head. It's a priest, one of the old ones. From before Averson. Might be of interest to a collector, but not a vampire. I can give you a few brass for it, but I don't expect I'll be likely to sell it damn Ken looked at the statue intently biting his lip he stared aimlessly for a moment then seemed to come to a decision I'd like to get a bit more than brass if and you find a buyer I'll give it to you for a silver Mernon nodded don't get your hopes up though it's an odd piece I'll give you that he made as if to go back to the cart then turned back what have you got in that tub it sure needs washing Ken chuckled. <laughs> Nothing to watch, friend. He lifted his arms out of the tub. Mernon stared at his hands. They were a pale red, and covered in darker markings, like bloodless wounds. Damn this thing, Ken said, with more interest than annoyance. Woke up this morning and they were stinging like hell. Must have gotten a rash from the seaweed. Salt water helps. It looks a lot worse than it feels. Mernin frowned. If you say so, what kind of seaweed was it? Remind me to avoid it like the plague. <laughs> <laughs> they shared a chuckle as Mernin returned to his cart and headed down to the road. When Ken awoke from troubled dreams, there was water in his fishing shack. He sprinted away as soon as he awoke, terrified of the nebel gas that came in with the tide, but even from a distance he could see there was no fog. His arms burned and itched, as did part of his face. Apprehensively, he returned to his shack. The seawater was ankle-depth. Ken didn't fish that day. He had fish left over from yesterday, after all. And with his arms feeling rubbery and weak, he doubted a day in the boat would be very productive. He bathed instead, something he didn't do often. In cold water, instead of warm this time, his arms felt better. His face felt worse. He roasted a fish, but couldn't bring himself to eat it. It seemed to be looking back at him, and its eyes seemed very human for a moment. He threw it, still charred, back into the sea. He slept early after much thought, and dreamed of nothing at all. Mernon rounded the hill on his cart to find the shack completely submerged by the tide. Ken sat impassive, staring at it, the dark stone carving sat behind him, arms raised towards the water. "'Hoy, Ken!' Mernon shouted, concerned. "'What happened? Are you all right?' Ken had no response. Mernon brought his cart as close to the water's edge as he dared, and stepped out. "'Ken, are you all right? What happened to your house?' Ken's arms moved slightly, but he did not turn around. He looked very thin, and there were several fish on the ground beside him. Cleaned and cooked, but untouched. Ken? Mernin said uncertainly. Noticing suddenly how thin Ken seemed, have you eaten at all since I last saw you? Curent. Ken mumbled. His voice sounded watery, and Mernin wondered if he had caught a cold couldn't eat the fish could eat for the first time Mernon noticed that the fisherman's oil skin raincoat was moving he seemed to be shifting around with his arms or where his arms in his sleeves a feeling of unease began to creep over him and he took a reflexive step backwards he glanced down at ken's legs some instinct guiding his eyes his face froze, and a hoarse sound too quiet, to be a scream issued from his mouth. Protruding from the jacket, lying half in the water, was a malformed mass of pallid flesh. A raised pattern resolved itself near the top into a layer of dull scales. Through transparent skin, Mernon could see something that barely still resembled a foot a series of slits, on the side, opened and closed in the water, as if breathing. Mernon backed away, stumbling over grass and stone, as Ken turned. His raincoat writhed unnaturally, then burst open, Mernon caught a glimpse of flesh, slime and writhing tendrils, things he could not name, a flash, a rubbery thud of the side of his head, and he collapsed on the ground bleeding badly a fleshy suckered tendril wrapped around his arm and neck on the edge of his perception he could hear a weak shuffling as a thing dragged itself through the sand couldn't eat the fish 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 the water is deep merlin you are deep the water the water I'm sorry, Mernon. Mernon struggled for breath. The tide, he realized, must have been steadily rising. His chest, lying downhill, was already close to being submerged. As the dark water closed over his eyes, he saw the black statue drifting deeper underneath. Ken's distorted voice reached his ears through the water. Couldn't eat the fish, Mernon. I'm sorry, Mernon. Could eat Merlin. Could eat you. Core by Violent Harvest This message is my map, and this map is my message. The earth here is thin. I move about it so freely, and the ease of it is a delicious thing but it is also frightful i dig my inscriptions by feel and touch and because i know the earth i know that this will be massive for your senses here in this layer of the planet i am in between my people and your people i float about in this soft soil like a drifting bubble weightless and yet handled so delicately within my surroundings that my fragile dome will never burst. I am fit to drift along in euphoria. I would do this forever if granted the chance, but I have responsibilities to my people and to our mother. If I were to glide about, dreamlessly, in this infinite expanse of soft rock, a few fathoms beneath your man-made pavé veins, I would lose myself in the arms of Mother, and she would love to have me lost. That exquisite moment will not arrive until your end time comes. For now, I must finish the task I've been chosen for by our matron. She was born from the hard rock and the fire and the very core of Mother, and so I cherish and love her for choosing me to finish this map for our people. If I were to abandon my quest and return home now, that would be in the heart-fire of Earth within two of Mother's circles. Perhaps that holds no meaning for you, but because I have lurked just beneath the pay vein in your greatest den and homestead of New York City, I know that the word I must use is years. You measure your core by a finite passage of time in units. we measure hours by Mother Earth itself as you once did before in history, before you created the Deathly Grid, and thought yourselves too intelligent to honor Mother. This is what saddens her, and this is the cause of the war between my people and your people. It has taken me over 1,000 of your years to reach the earth just below your pay veins and grids of soft rock. At first, I did not understand, and I would glide along those thin places as your slow-moving metal boxes with the rubber feet would adhere to the limited paths that you have provided for them. They are lumbering beasts, unable to dig, deaf and dumb constructs that are reflective of their creators. I do not pity you, because if you had used her gifts the way they were meant to be used, you would be as my people are now. I traveled up from the heartfire at the core, and I learned your grid. I have traveled it, mapped it, and meticulously crafted the crooked places above the soil. They are illogical. Why you take the soft rock from Mother's ample womb and move it to create your own veins is beyond me. It is disgusting, and it gives me more purpose to fulfill what the matron has sent me to your thin place for. Mother's veins are designed to be flowed through, to be embraced and traveled as they were crafted. What you do to her is an abomination. We hear her soft whimpers at night when we try to sleep and it pains us. The core of fire at her heart is our resting place and now it is plagued by the agonized wails of the planet. She hid her grief and pain from us, but the noise was too great for us to sleep. You have made us restless. It took time for us to coax her into revealing the source of her sorrow and anguish. That source is you and your people. You have assaulted the most beautiful of beautiful things. And for this, we hate you. You have brought this on yourself. By the time one of your geologists finds this long message, riddled throughout the endless tunnels and arcways within Mother that I have dug, it will be too late. The map is already almost finished. What I dig now is only superfluous to our real motivations. I dig this message now to provide an explanation, a reason for what we are about to do. We feel that we do not owe you this, mother feels differently despite her scars and so we honor her wishes the dig from the core has been long when i first began in the expanses of hardened malta i moved slowly her screams chased me through the trenches of stone and furious flame as your years passed and you continued to wound her further. Her pain was my pain, and so my progress quickened. Feeling the shudders of Mother, she caused me to burn bright, to blast through the hard rock and reach the thin places where I can move like one of your bullets. The number of trenches and veins that I have burned through her is incomprehensible to your kind. They are all pathways for my people to travel from the core of fire to your thin place. I have mapped her for them, and so they need only unleash our message to you in the bowels of the clouds. You will see the sky burn, as bright as our home at her center, and all of you will perish. It will take us some time to overgrow your atrocious pay veins with our earth, but we will help her. We will blast them into oblivion as easily as we will blast from the map beneath your beasts on rubber. We will reap the cause of her pain away in one ascending windfall, and then her wails may soften. Eventually, she will be gleeful and throbbing with life once more. And we will fall fitfully asleep, as we should be now, if it were not for your people. This map is my message. And I am growing tired of your thin place in the crust beneath your metropolis dens. They are an affliction of Mother's perfect face, and because you have marred her beautiful cheeks with her own tears, we will rend you with the very fire that we were born from. Just a brilliant way to start the new year, or at least if it's the 31st where you are, about to start the new year. <laughs> Two epic stories, right? The first story, Court, is fantastic. And there are a couple of aspects that I liked in particular. The way it slowly introduces the reader to the world. First, we meet Ken. A fisherman who hates water and the smell of fish and salt on his skin. Then the mention of the Nebelgast. So we're hinting already at the supernatural living in that world. Then we move on to vampires being real that they're wealthy, and that power exists beyond their imagination at the bottom of the sea, where creatures like the Nebelgast live. The world building in this story is absolutely fantastic, in such a short space of time, and the pacing is great, the characters with simple dialogue are all poignant and expressive, no words are wasted. Definitely a real classic. The second story, Core, was fascinating, a slow build-up, unique dialogue and intentionally slower pacing, with a strong message delivered in the process. Another exceptional story. A unique narrative all on its own. So I hope you enjoyed these stories, and now I'm going to talk about the podcast a little bit. So I do this every year, but yes, this podcast is still going to continue producing content, stories, dramas, reading audiobooks, and so much more. And of course, without adverts. There's going to be more and more unearthing of stories that people might not know much about, and some unique collaborations for the new year ahead. I have a blast doing this podcast, so no signs of slowing down in that space, and if anything, I'm going to work harder to bring you more unique and creative stories. Also, been receiving more and more listener submissions, which is fantastic. Super stoked to get into those, so thank you for sending them through. And any suggestions, I'll be shortlisting and working and recording them and putting them on the radio waves. And of course, I can't do it without you, so a huge thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. No plug here, just wanted to say thanks, seriously, thanks a lot. When it comes to Christmas presents, I was spoiled this year for my family and friends. I've got a PlayStation VR, which is nuts. Playing Doom in virtual reality is a next-level sort of experience. VR has so much potential. Unbelievable. Gotta give it a shot if you haven't tried it yet. I also got a giant saltstone that illuminates itself and a stuffed tarantula fighting a stuffed scorpion. Bloody epic. It is as crazy as it sounds. (laughs) And I love it. Now before I head off, have a fantastic and safe New Year celebration. If you're not celebrating loudly, just chilling at home, pour a cup of whatever hot beverage you love the most. Relax and enjoy a much deserved rest. See you in the new year, listeners, where I return to schedule and more and more stories are set to head to your lovely ears. As always, till next time.